Good morning. Let me drink some water here. I have a post-nasal drip that is a bugaboo. It's bugging me, it's bugging who? I have homework for you. All right? I have homework for you. And if you don't do your homework, I'm going to put you in homework call. Homework call was uh, what we used to have here, and if... uh, if you didn't do your homework, you would have to go to homework hall at the end of school and you'd have to finish it. You'd have to pay a dollar, right? And you'd also have to pay a dollar if you got detention. So some days I was double booked. <laughs> and I remember one of the worst times I got in trouble with my dad was he got a bill at the end of the month for $50. Do, do the math there, Okay. Some of you are like, there's 31 days in the longest month. No, listen to me. You're only in school for about 22 of those days in the month. I was in big trouble. But I got homework for you, okay? The first one is, now first off, promise everybody say after me, I will do it. All right. All right, I'm convinced. All right, now you've committed, and you're the fool for swearing to something before you asked not my problem. Um, do we have Anita or Nadia Renazel in here? Nadia, will you raise your hand? Is Anita in here? There's Anita back there. Nadia, raise your hand. No, up high like you're a Pentecostal. Real high. Okay. You see these two ladies? They asked me earlier in the week, as sweetly as they could, to just make an announcement, very sweetly, to just make an announcement that you would bring some sides and some food, right? You just want sides or you want some more? Okay. Right? Anything else? Go ahead. Desserts and sides? Bring desserts and sides. They need you to sign up today, okay? Can you do that for me? Well, you you have to, or I'll sue you all. So you have to do that, okay? If you would sign up, because we're going to have a blast next week at our Thanksgiving feast, okay? It's amazing. We usually have 400 people at that. Wonder why. Baptists have an eating problem. The second thing I want you to do for me is I want you to pray for these four people. David Chase, we're going to include Kathleen in that. So David and Kathleen, Susan A., Rudy McGloshan, and that's four with Kathleen and Susan. Yeah, those are the four people. They're your leaders. They are part of the leaders of this church. And they have a lot of things going on in their life right now. And they're not going to ask you to pray for them. I am. And so right now, I just want to take a moment and I want to pray for those four individuals. And I want every one of you to do do me this favor. Pray for them, these four names that I've given you, David and Kathleen, Rudy and Susan, this week. Okay, will you do that for me? You You already said you would, so you have to. But we're going to pray for them right now. Father... We thank you for our leaders. Your word tells us that we are to be a blessing to our leaders. And right now, Lord, your leaders have a lot going on in their lives. We love them very much. We're very grateful for what they mean to all of us. Before I was their pastor, Lord, I was led by them for years, and I'm still being led by them. And I just thank you so much. Lord, you know their health needs You know how they're overwhelmed, Lord, and it is my prayer that you would just give them the grace in this season of life. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Please pray for them this week, okay? Everybody say, I'll do it. it. Good. I'm starting a new series entitled Basic Christianity. This is going to be a unique series. It is not going to be a simple restatement of basic truths only, right? It's going to be that, but it's going to be that with a purpose. There is going to be a real direction here. This is my attempt. I use the word attempt. This is my attempt to address the social unrest in our country today. So I'm going to ask for your prayer as I prepare these sermons. I'm going to ask for your grace 
none of us, as, as much as we like to think of ourselves as being unbiased, none of us are unbiased. And every one of us have our own political uh, beliefs. We have our own political philosophies. And I'm sorry, but you are not able to separate yourself, despite what the media tells you. They are not able to just give you the objective facts. Furthermore, I'm a pastor, and my job is not to just give you objective facts. My job is to preach and to compel men and women and children to the Word of God and to Jesus Christ. Basic Christianity, how does it relate to the discussion of civil unrest and all of the social upheaval that we see on the nightly news? One of the things I hear most often said about the church is that they are only worried about the Word of God, they are only worried about themselves, and they have turned a deaf ear to the social concerns of the day. And I would say that there is definitely warrant for that kind of criticism. There is. But I would also say that there is a greater need for the correction of the thought that there is a solution that lies outside of the basic tenets of Christianity that can solve this problem today. Thank you. Every, every social institution, every social institution that needed to crumble in this country crumbled off the heels of great Christian leaders and great awakenings where the word of God was preached. Every single one. You know what happens when you get on Facebook and you debate from your perspective, a left or democratic perspective, and a Republican perspective or right perspective? People don't say, wow, now that's interesting. Now I believe in your point of view. The only thing you do is further entrench people in their worldview. That's it. So here's what I'm saying. Your way does not work. It won't work. Fix your way. If you want to make contributions to the social problems of today, the way to do it is to stand in the glory of God. America finds itself once again in need of reminding and of minding the basic truths of the Christian faith. We are, as one scholar has called us, the legatees of a great inheritance and are therefore responsible for carrying on this country's Christian legacy. This is not a global sermon series. It is a sermon series to not only my brothers and sisters in Christ, but to our fellow Americans. That is the country where we find ourselves, is it not? And so this is my concern. Paul didn't write a letter to the Ephesians globally. He wrote a letter to the Ephesians about what the Ephesians were facing. And so on the Galatians and so on the Romans. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. rather creatively once wrote an epistle to the Americans written as if it was from Paul. It's a beautiful sermon. It's about 33 minutes long and you should listen to it. I am doing that in this series. It is true that there is no guarantee in Scripture that the United States will stand forever. This nation is not the kingdom of God, but just another kingdom of men. It's like Babylon. It's like Persia. It's like Assyria. They come and they go. They rise and they fall. There was a time where I vigorously fought against the notion that, quote-unquote, America and Christianity were synonymous terms. And I still, till this very day, deny that any single American has as his or her national birthright any justification for their sins simply because they are citizens of the United States. However, however, we are too quick in these times of social unrest to throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
the new evangelicals, new preoccupation with demanding the church separate herself from the nation is nothing more than giving a misunderstanding far more credit than it deserves. What I mean is this. Jeremiah was told by God to seek the welfare of the nation where God had placed him. Peter reminded the church to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Paul reminded the Romans that a nation's leaders were ministers of God, attending to upholding his definition of goodness and punishing sins. What I mean to do this morning is say this, because some Americans, maybe even many Americans, have tainted their faith with unquestioned patriotism and uncritical patriotism, and have justified in doing so grotesque institutions such as slavery, Jim Crow, and all other forms of racial segregation does not undermine the noble love that many American Christians still have for this country and her values. It is not the sins of the past that these brothers and sisters, those on the fringe, wish to justify, but rather her values that gave them hope that America could be one nation under God. It is precisely because of America's Judeo-Christian values that institutions such as slavery and Jim Crow, misogyny and exploitation of the poor were in fact and finally undermined. Dr. Mark Coppinger former president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, warns us not to pull up the grain because of the chaff. As the legal tease of a great inheritance, says Coppinger, we believe it is important to remember and celebrate those contributions made by Judeo-Christian values to Western civilization. We do so fully aware that the narrative of the West is not unblemished by her sins. Nevertheless, as we shall see, the resilience of the tradition has meant that errors of the past have led to the evolution of increasingly greater respect for human persons and the erosions of practices and institutions that have harmed them. We, all of us, who are beneficiaries of Western civilization, listen to me, we are all beneficiaries of Western civilization. I know you may not not like this cliche, but if you don't like America, there are other countries. And I don't see any of us running to them. You know why? Because guess what's over there in those countries? Guess what? Sinners too. They have their own problems too. We are the responsible citizens for this country's legacy. You will be held accountable for what you do and don't do with this country. The American values of constitutionalism and limited powers of government, universal human dignity and the sanctity of all human life, innovation, labor and economic freedom, property rights and trade, education, science, medicine and hospitals and general morals are all grounded in Judeo-Christian values. These standards were based on the doctrines of the Bible and have always been the criteria by which an institution in this country has been deemed to be either good or evil. The abolition of slavery and Jim Crow are the results of a nation finally adhering to its principles that it wrote down on paper. On August 28, 1963, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, the great American and civil rights leader... Martin Luther King Jr. called for America to keep her promissory note to her people, a declaration that all men were endowed by their creator, the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of property. His dream was that America would live out in practice what it wrote down on paper. I have a dream, said Dr. King, that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident 
that all men are created equal. This will be the day, said King, when all God's children will be able to sing with a new meaning, my country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, to thee I sing. You see, King's objective was not to destroy America because of her past sins, but simply to demand her to live by the principles she professed to live by as Christian principles. But let me take King's word a step further. A society that forgets the foundation for its principles will soon forget its principles altogether. History has proven, or excuse me, the demands of the hour compel us to restate anew and afresh the core of our faith, not only that we might save our nation, but especially that we might save our souls. We have a responsibility, Americans, not to hold to our values, but to praise the God who those values come from. History has proven that the antidote for great social change is a renewed passion for the preaching of God's word. One Christian historian has noted, many of the finest impulses of social reform and action in American history have flowed from spiritual awakenings. For example, the Second Great Awakening brought a tide of opposition to slavery and to various other social injustices. In other words, it will be the word, not war, that will be the solution to the madness of our day. It is my hope that this series on basic Christianity will spark another great awakening to everyone who hears it. I hope to do two things in this series. First, and most importantly, to call men and women back to a commitment to the basic Christian faith. And by basic, I do not mean simple, but basic in the sense that its core doctrines are the rock which we must build our house upon. The first goal in this series is that men and women will make a commitment to the basic Christian faith. Second, it is my hope that in this moment of civil unrest, these sermons will spark a spiritual awakening in the lives of all who hear them. God has proven down through the hells of history that the nation that seeks his faith and turns from their wickedness will not only have their sins forgiven, but their land healed as well. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, what can I do but speak? It is your Holy Spirit who gives life to these words. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict, at the very least, the church, that the only way to fight this war is not with the weapons of carnality, but with the sword of the Spirit. Lord, we were taught so beautifully by the great American Dr. Martin Luther King to find reconciliation and not victory. I pray, Lord, that we will do that. But I know, and I pray that you will, you will impress this truth upon every single person in here today, that this cannot be done apart from seeking your face. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference held what they called sociodramas for all would-be demonstrators. During the civil rights movement of the 60s, nonviolent demonstrators were frequently met with violent retaliation by segregationists. These sociodramas, as they were called, were hours of testing where recruits would undergo intense situations of name-calling, cursing, and even physical abuse to see if they were able to resist without bitterness, to be cursed and not reply, to be beaten and not hit back. This first sermon in the Basic Christianity series is meant to prepare Christians and would-be Christians with the harsh realities 
that one faces when he or she decides to follow Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. You may not hear a lot of sermons preached from this passage, but I'm going to preach from this passage. Now great crowds accompanied him and turned and said to them, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let that sit for just a moment. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Michael Wilcock says very simply at the conclusion of this passage, the call of Jesus is this. The time is now. The person concerned is you. Just as you sit there today, the demand of you is everything. What a sales pitch. I want to make some points about this passage this morning. Because I think a lot of pastors are selling you a bill of goods. They're telling you that if you come to Christ, things will be better. And I want to tell you, they will not. The first point I want to make this morning is basic Christianity. Basic Christianity is confrontational. Basic Christianity is confrontational. It will not do to make Christianity palatable to the taste of sinners. Jesus knew that men would always tend towards making Christianity digestible to their own sins by adding a spoonful of sugar to the medicine of biblical truth. And so he warned us rather harshly that unless you make him your Lord, to the comparable hatred of all others, you cannot be his disciple. Now, right off the bat, it is important that I undermine any thinking that Jesus is contradicting any teaching to love your neighbor. He is not teaching hatred for our fellow man, especially the hatred to those closest to us. What Jesus is doing is using a form of Jewish hyperbole whereby our loyalty for him is so strong that by comparison, it will seem like hatred for all others. The point that Jesus is making in our passage is first and foremost that being his disciple is a serious matter to be considered. How many of you buy a house without taking it seriously, especially in this post-2008 world, let alone build a house? How many of you go to war 
without first asking the question, will my 10,000 men be able to beat these 20,000 men? And Jesus is saying, so too, if you're going to be my disciple, you better ask yourself, do you have enough gas in the tank? To be Jesus' disciple is not a tack-on to the rest of your life. Sunday is the first day of the week. And yet we call it the weekend. This is the day where we are supposed to declare to the world that Jesus gets our first and our best. The point in this passage is that coming to him should not be made in a moment of rash emotions, but through careful consideration of the cost of being his disciple. Emotions are for a moment. They are fleeting. They come and they go. Marriages are continuously ended because someone has quote-unquote fallen out of love and what they mean by that is that the emotion I once had for this person is no longer there no duh who lied to you and told you that your marriage would always have such high emotions all marriages ebb and flow and you are in a covenant relationship with God Job said, we have received good from the Lord, shall we not also receive evil? If you are going to be the Lord's disciples, there is going to be an ebb and flow to this life. And I say to all of those charlatans who say on Christian television and on Christian radio that this is a God who is a genie and gives you whatever you want, I say anathema to their teaching. Jesus' point is that by taking up one's cross, you are accepting not just the plight of suffering that all human flesh must endure for living in a fallen world, but a very specific type <coughs> of suffering that comes from being his disciple. His disciple. <coughs> Remember, when Jesus tells them they must take up their cross, he has yet to go to his. The cross was a dirty thing. One Roman historian wrote about crucifixion, that not only was crucifixion to be kept from the Roman's body, the very act of crucifixion was to be kept from the Roman's eyes. The word excruciate means out of the cross. The cross was not a symbol of victory that it is today. When Jesus said this, the cross was a symbol of persecution. It was a symbol of judgment. It was a symbol of death. And Jesus says, you must take up your cross. Imagine hearing that. I don't know what a comparable study would be. It might be saying, you must take up your electric chair. He's saying society's going to condemn you for being my followers. It's going to find you guilty in its courts. It's going to hate you. That's what it means to be a Christian. So any attempt to make Christi Christianity easy to the consciences of sinful human beings must be rejected. What I am saying is it must be rejected as not Christianity at all. Since the message is basic Christianity. Calling sin not God's best is never said in the word. It is always called rebellion. I am sure that eating fruit is not equivalent on the scale of morality to murdering someone. But all sin, because it is a rejection of God as God and Lord of the universe, is all a rebellion against Him. And because you don't know His majesty, 
we don't think he is a serious being to be offended. Reducing the gospel call to the message that God loves you and has a plan for your life is trickery. Yes, God loves you, but he loves you with a cross. And he loves you so much that he says, I love you enough to make you hated by men, to be my disciples. To call people searchers or they're searching for God when scripture tells us that no one seeks after him is a lie. And the entire idea of seeker sensitivity Christianity as a whole will never work. All of these myths must be rejected as not basic to Christian doctrine. At its most basic level, Christianity confronts sinful man with the reality of his bankruptcy before a God who is coming to settle accounts. So long as men and women are allowed to live their life in the ignorance of the terror of God's glory, Christianity will be nothing more to them than just another alternative to living the good life. I want to tell you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that Christianity is not calling you to live a good life. It is calling you to be confrontational and to take up your cross. Number two, this passage tells us that Christianity is difficult. The first thought that we would have to hate our mother and our father and our wife and our children, that is disruptive. It ought to make our stomachs quake. I love my wife. I love my children. I would die for my wife and children. I miss my father and mother so much. This city is a, it is a fly in my ointment these days. I hate the one-hour traffic jam I have to sit in every moment of every day. I hate the fact that the streets that I used to walk up and down as a young man, now I feel a greater intensity than I've ever felt before. I hate it. I want to be with my family. But the Lord has a work for me here. Which is greater, my love for Jesus or my love for my brother and my father and my mother? This is hard to follow Jesus. Christianity is difficult. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I don't want to bear a cross. I want to be high and lifted up, but not on a cross, on a throne. I want men to look at me and be proud of me. I want the world to look at me and say, you are a great man. I want to be friends with the world. But Christ says to be your disciple, his disciple means when you're lifted up, it is to mock you, not to glorify you. Christianity is difficult. He even says, sit down and count the cost. Whether you have enough to complete it, and I'll be honest with you, I don't ever know whether I have enough to complete it. If it is in my flesh, I will not complete this life. Not as his disciple at any rate. And so I pray for his grace to complete the task before me. But I cannot, and neither can you, in good conscience, hear the teachings that are called basic Christianity, read the scripture and see something contradictory, and go with theirs over these. The teaching is that Christianity is difficult. Now, there is a new notion today that Christianity is dying because it's not adapting, because it's being tough, and because pastors are preaching it's difficulty, that's why Christianity is dying. 
The notion that the church is dying because of the sins of the church to confront the sins of the world will not hold water before God. Jesus made it very clear, you cannot hate Christians and love Christ. This is a new thing I see a lot, a lot of Christian bashing. James made it clear, if anyone says I love God and hate his brother John, excuse me, he is a liar. For who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from God, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The reason why men and women hate God's church and are leaving the church is because Christianity is difficult. Thank you for your honesty. Every time you leave the church and don't return, you are saying to us, I don't have enough in the tank. Good, says Jesus. Better that you be hot or cold, but enough of this wishy-washy straddling the fence, lukewarmness. Jesus says, choose you this day who you will serve. The reason why men are leaving the church is because Christianity is difficult. C.S. Lewis said that any attempt to make Christianity simple was to water it down. This view, he says, that says that there is a good God in heaven and everything is all right, leaving out all the difficult and terrible doctrines about sin and hell and the devil and redemption is nothing more than a boy's philosophy. Christianity is difficult and too many churches and pastors have succumbed to the temptation to make it simple by leaving out all of the difficult parts. They talk about God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is for your life to die and make everything in your life about Him. That's God's plan for your life. Well, where does He want me to live? Where you can glorify Him. What career does He want me to have? Where you can honor Him. What church does He want to go, me to go? Where you can serve Him. God's plan for your life is first the repentance of your sin, death to yourself, and a life of cross-bearing. You say, I don't like this message. I'm simply preaching what the text just said. God loves you, I hear all the time. Let me tell you how God loves you. He sent his son to die on a cross as the one who would bear our transgressions and our iniquities. God's love cost him something. Seeker sensitive. To be sensitive to the seeker means warning sinners to flee from God's coming wrath. If you're standing on a train track and you can't hear the train coming and I rock your world by knocking you out of the way, that is a moment of compassion. I remember one day I was about to, there was a snake. It was down in the grass. And I remember my mom just, bam! She just like, gave me this truck. I looked back, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then I shut up real quick because I didn't want her to smack me again. But she showed me there was a snake there. She said, there was a snake in the grass. Now, whether there was or not, we don't know. But the point is that I'd rather offend you this morning by telling you you must die to yourself and take up your cross, and you do it, than that you go with an easy conscience right down into a devil's hell. I hope, I hope, as Paul said to the Corinthian church, you are offended enough into godly repentance. God's love for the whole world means his axe is already at the roots, chopping down every tree that does not bear fruit. Every human being makes mistakes is, according to Christianity, a heresy that rejects the Bible teaching that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of your sin means certain and eternal death. 
Too many of our American pastors have placated the demands of modern man for a softer message from Christianity. The lost have demanded that their ears be scratched with pleasant thoughts, and our pastors have unfortunately obliged. In any attempt to be liked by the world, American pastors have prophesied only good for us rather than the truth they were commissioned to preach. King Ahab hated Micaiah because he only prophesied evil for the king and never prophesied anything good. But the truth is not concerned with good or bad, but only with what corresponds to reality. The fact is, brothers and sisters, the truth is that we stand naked and in need, exposed before a holy God. We must never fail to preach repentance of sin in order to make Christianity simple. The truths of God's word are hard. Let him who has ears to hear, hear them. Finally, Christianity has a mission. Christianity has a mission. Yes, basic Christianity is confrontational. Yes, it is difficult. And yes, we do know what we are to be doing in this life. Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert in their book, What is the Mission of the Church?, argue that at its core, the term mission implies two basic things. Number one, being sent, and number two, being given a task. Every one of you here today have a mission from God. It is to make him the object of glory. It is to make worship plain in the lives of everyone you meet. He will give life to the seeds you plant, but you are to go and sow. It is important to note at the outset that being sent out to accomplish, we are being sent out to accomplish a specific task, but that this does not mean that we are free to neglect those responsibilities which are common to all men. But nothing would please Satan more than that the church would pursue today another mission other than Christ's great commission. To go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Someone says, yeah, but there's other things that really matter in this life, like social justice. Hey, I'm not saying don't fight it. I'm saying as a Christian, you have a clear mission from your Lord. It's right there. You want to change things? Give men the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do the internal work that you can't do. Listen to me. I know you're smart. Your witty post on Facebook ain't going to change nobody. I don't care how smart you are. I'm not impressed. Because when I read them, since I don't have a Facebook, I sit there and just destroy every part of them. Because I'm not impressed. And because I too have my own sinful biases. And I too am tempted to be carried into the war to fight with carnal weapons. But if you want real change, you're going to have to fight the warfare with the sword of the Spirit. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the rulers. We must arm ourselves with God's warfare. Should Christians be concerned about social justice? I think they should. I don't even think it's a question. But I warn you, as God warned the Israelites, not to align yourselves with the enemies of God. Yes, fight social justice. But to align yourself with enemies will not work. Solomon did not simply become an idolater overnight. 
But his idolatry began when he took Pharaoh's daughter and made a marriage alliance with Egypt, disobeying God's warning in Deuteronomy 17, 16, not to return to Egypt. And as such, only in the 11th chapter of 1 Kings, after chapter 3, has this man fallen into grave idolatry. Why? Because he tried to be king and solve the world's problems by making alliances with other gods. This will not work. Why? Because Christianity has a mission already. Social justice is not the chief mission of the church. Vern Poitras, professor of Westminster Theological Seminary, says this, In a vision, Paul saw a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. They needed help. They had famine. They were in persecution. There was all kinds of social problems. And Paul concluded that God had called us, he says in Acts 16, 9 and 10, that God had called us to do what? To preach the gospel to them. You say, but that's so, it doesn't change anything. It's so impotent. God says it's not. Did he begin to feed and clothe the poor, says Poitras? Help change the laws regarding slavery? Improve health conditions in the town? No. We find him preaching a message which called for a response. And a wealthy businesswoman listens. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Every time social unrest was met with the gospel, social unrest was defeated. Listen to me carefully this morning. Social justice is a major issue that we should all be concerned about, but it is not the primary mission of the church. Furthermore, social justice will ultimately become its own tyranny. See Marxism if it is not firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what happens to our young people when they go off to college and they hear Marxism? They hear an unbelievable... You know what Marxism is, just by the by? Marx was the founder. He was the philosopher who came up with the ideology of communism, which Lenin made and and turned it into his own. He did not go far away from Marxist principles, and which in this past century, Marxism and communism are estimated to be responsible for over 75 million deaths. I don't hear a lot of people complaining about that one. You know what happens? Our young people go into our colleges and they hear all of these principles of Marxism and they sound so good. They sound so good because social justice is Marx's ultimate concern. For Karl Marx, the ultimate concern was that there would be no more division of labor. That there would be no more oppression. It was his ultimate concern. It sounded so good. It was its own gospel. The problem with it was, it was all built upon a false premise. The premise that man is not evil, but his conditions make him evil. Christianity says, nope. The greatest problem in this world always will be the person you see every morning in the mirror. It is you. If you want to change the world and be a social justice warrior for social justice's sake alone, you are going to follow your own tyranny. But I ask you, do you really want to change things? Be a disciple of Christ. Take up your cross and follow him.
John chapter 15, 18 through 20, reminds us of this. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I ask you this morning, do you want to be hated by the world or hated by God? You have one of two options. There is no other option. You can leave here this morning right through those doors either being hated by God or hated by the world. Those are your options. You will make, you will make a decision on one of those two. James says, you are an adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you wish to be a friend of the world? Or do you wish to be a friend of Jesus? The best contribution you can make this morning to the social problems of our day is to be a friend of God. You will never be the light you need to be to the world without standing in His glory. Let's pray. Father, we are going to look at these sermons and I pray that You would speak through me. Lord, I, 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 I want to be Your mouthpiece. Lord, all I see is sinners trying to answer the world's problems. Lord, where is, where, where, where is our Martin Luther King Jr. today? Someone who knew the Word of God and was committed to basic Christianity. Where is he? Would you leave us to follow in Malcolm X's nightmare? Or Lord, will you send us someone to speak of the dream? Lord, I call this nation back to the God that they once said they loved. It is my prayer that you will do your work by your Holy Spirit. Amen.